1: When Cain saw that God loved Abel's offering more than Cain's, then Cain hated Abel. So what we see in this chapter is that there's a repeat of this, and Joseph is actually the favorite of his father, and so therefore he's hated by his brothers. I mean, isn't that interesting? I mean, how could it be that Joseph is the favorite of his father Jacob, and yet he's hated by his brothers? I mean, what does that tell you? about the brother's relationship or how they feel toward their father, Jacob. If the father loved Joseph and the brothers hated Joseph, what does that tell you about how the brothers felt toward their father? Now, to to answer this question, I'm gonna give you some statements that the Lord Jesus Christ made about himself and the father, and I want for you to tell me how this applies to Joseph's brothers and his father. Okay, so first, in John 5, 23, John 5, 23, the Lord said that all men should honor the son even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son honoreth not the father which hath, who has sent him, which has sent him. All right, so question. So when the brothers did not honor Joseph, what were they also not honoring? Who were they also not honoring? Their father, Jacob. Their father, Jacob. That's right, they were dishonoring Jacob. Okay, John fifteen twenty three. He that hateth me, hateth my father also. So when the brothers hated Joseph, who were the brothers also hating? Their father, Jacob. Okay, John 1, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So when the brothers saw Joseph, what did the brothers see about the father? They saw in Joseph their father as Israel. They saw what Jacob was after he had his encounter with God, and his name was changed to Israel in Genesis 32. Well OK, John 16:27, John 16:27, "For the Father himself loveth you because you've loved me and believed that I came out from God." So what would Jacob, their father, do if they loved Joseph? Now, let me read it again. The father himself loved with you because you loved me. Okay, what would Jacob, their father, have done if they had loved Joseph to the brothers? He would have loved them. He would have loved them. So this hatred of Joseph's brothers was just, it had implications for the brothers' relationship with their father. And this is really the first part of Joseph's life. I mean, this is the first part of Joseph's life. We can The first part of Joseph's life, you can just put a big title on it that says humiliation. I mean, in, in Egypt, when Joseph was brought up from prison by Pharaoh, that's gonna start the second half of Joseph's life, which is exaltation. So two-part history, humiliation, exaltation. Humiliation, exaltation. That's the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our history as well. That's our course. Humiliation on earth, exaltation in heaven. So during the humiliation, Joseph will be tempted to ask, what's going on? What's going on? I'm supposed to have dominion, you know, and all this is happening to me. I'm getting put down, this humiliation, all this pain and suffering. What is it? Does God really know what he's doing? What he's going to learn here is what we need to see is that God's a weaver. He's a weaver, and he weaves with one thread at a time. And he's just like a weaver. He sits silently and he's working on his, his work there and he's weaving and, and, and he's got the whole pattern in his mind and he's weaving with one thread at a time and you can't see how it's all gonna come out until it's finished and, and don't bother him because he's working hard. That's a picture of what it means in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It means that God's weaving with one thread at a time. And only when we're finished, we're gonna see that each thread was important in the whole thing. So this hatred of Joseph's brothers, it's just one thread. It's one thread in God's work. Now, we read now in verse five that Joseph dreamed a dream. Verse five, Joseph dreamed a dream. All right, this is the first dream of Joseph. And with this dream starts a career of dreams. Okay, he's gonna have a career of dreams and interpretation of dreams. It's the first dream he tells his brothers. And he has a second dream, he tells his brothers and his father. And he Baker has a dream in prison in Egypt, he interprets that. Butler has a dream in prison, he interprets that dream. Pharaoh has a dream, he's troubled that no one can interpret the dreams. Pharaoh has a second dream. He's in even more trouble that no one can interpret the dreams. than enter Joseph who interprets both the dreams. So this is the first dream in Joseph's life career of dreams. And so we read here that Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brethren. Now, when it says in this verse, he told his brethren, what's really important for us is to see how he told his brethren. Because there are several ways to do this. I mean... You know, one way is that Joseph could have told his brothers, says, well, what do you know, boys? <laughs> Looks like the tables are turning now, and I'm going to have you right under my thumb. So look at us, boys. You're going to be bowing down to me. What do you think about that, huh? Okay. <laughs> That's pride. He didn't tell the dream that way. He didn't go to his brothers with this pride. In fact... It's how Joseph told his brothers that shows the real beauty of Joseph. Joseph told this dream to his brothers with it's charming the way he does it. It's a sweetness. It's a simplicity. There wasn't any pretense in how he told it. He doesn't. He's not. You know. He doesn't have an ulterior motive. I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to tell you about this dream. But what you see here is just a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful spirit with Joseph, and you see how he does this first in verse six. When he starts off and he says, here, I pray you, this dream. See, when Joseph said to his brothers, here, I pray you, you know, this dream, what do you think Joseph was thinking about his dream? He says, here, I pray you. What does he think about his dream? Okay, well, I don't know if he thought it was God-given, but he certainly thought it was important because he didn't say, God just showed me, you know, (laughs) God told me. (laughs) What are you going to say to that? Ever had somebody tell you that? You know, God told me. (laughs) You want to argue? Argue with God. Okay, first point is that this was important. This was important to talk about. You know, I didn't just have a dream about sheep jumping over, you know, uh, counting sheep. This was important. Second, this involves his brothers. I've got to tell my brothers. It involves his brothers. And third, he saw this going along with Clinton said here. He saw this is vital for his brothers to know. They got to know. They got to know. So he knew his dream was important. He knew that it was vital for his brothers to know. Now you keep this in mind. Just picture Joseph just running to his brothers out of breath. He goes, I got something really important to tell you. You got to hear this. You know, it reminds me sometimes when I go down to our school in Takati, you know, a little four-year-old boy, you know, this, I remember this one four-year-old boy, he was running up to me, I was all out of breath, and he starts telling me something he thinks is really important for me to hear, and his mind is racing faster than his mouth can get the words out, you know, and he's sitting there, he's telling me, hardly taking time to take a breath, and I'm listening, and I'm listening, but I can't understand a word he's saying because I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> But it's the way he's telling me, it's like the most vital information, which is probably something like, we're going to have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. <laughs> you know? And you couldn't stop the little kid from telling me because he's so passionate about his message. That's what children do. They think something is really important for you to know, and they tell you with such excitement, such passion. That's a picture here we see here of Joseph, as if he's all out of breath, and he's saying, He said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And then when Joseph tells them his dream, he doesn't put any commentary on it. He doesn't put any interpretation in it. He just reports the dream as he saw it what he saw in his dream. It's a beautiful picture of Joseph's heart. I mean, when I see this, when we read this in verse 6, and he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. That's a wonderful picture about how we're to tell the gospel to the lost just the same way as verse six says. I mean, first, verse six shows Joseph's passion. And when we tell the gospel, it should be with a heart that's moved. I mean, when Billy Graham was in New York for his Madison Square Garden crusade in 1965, and he met with Stephen Olford, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, where Mike Johnson went. Right, Mike, were you there in 1965? 69, oh, you just missed it. Anyway, so when he was there, Billy Graham and Stephen Olford were standing on, t- on the roof of the New York hotel, It's where Stephen Olford was living there, the New York and they were just looking over the city, and neither of them were speaking. And then Stephen Olford looked over at Billy Graham, and he saw great tears running down Billy Graham 's face as he looked over the city. That's what made Billy Graham's preaching so effective. It was his passion for souls. Just like Joseph, Billy Graham saw clearly heaven was within reach of everybody in New York City and hell was unnecessary. And just like Joseph, Billy Graham knew that it invo- his message involved every person. And just like Joseph, Billy Graham knew he had to tell. So that's why we should tell the gospel to the lost in the same way that Joseph told his dream to his brothers there. Like Joseph, we know the gospel is a message that involves every person. And like Joseph, we have to tell the gospel to every person. And and like Joseph, we just report what the Bible says. You know, Joseph did not interpret his dream by saying, well, this means I'm going to be your ruler and you're going to have to submit to me. He didn't do that. Joseph just let them come to their own conclusion personally from the dream. In the same way, we shouldn't interpret the gospel by saying something like, this means I'm going to heaven and unless you come to the Lord, you're going to hell. You know? <laughs> just like Joseph, we just tell the gospel and let the lost come to their own conclusion about themselves personally. And notice at the end of verse eight, see it says, they hated him yet more, they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. They hated him because of the dreams and they hated him because he told about the dreams. They hated him because he didn't keep it to himself. And if people are gonna hate us, then, then let it be because of the word of God and that we have reported what the word of God says. He's so engaged. Joseph here is so engaged with just telling his dream that Joseph just seems to be totally unaware of, his, of this hatred that his brothers have of him. I mean, it's kind of like almost surprising to him as he seems to, to not even know that his dreams would make his brothers hate him. I mean, if you said to Joseph, Joseph, do you know that your dream is going to make your brothers hate you? We can imagine Joseph saying, hate me? Why should they hate me? I'm just telling, what, what, telling them the dream that I saw and, and what I saw in my dream. It's really important for them to know. I don't know why they would hate me for telling them what I clearly saw in my dream. And that's so beautiful about Joseph because it's got this sweet spirit of simplicity. Sweet spirit of simplicity. I mean, he's blind. Joseph is blind. He's deaf. He's blind. He's deaf to the hatred that his dream caused. Because he even goes on and tells the next one. And all he knew was that I've got to tell the dreams. I've got to report the dreams. I mean, he just told it like it was, and then he was blind and deaf to the hatred that his message caused. It's exactly the way the Lord Jesus Christ was here. And God described him that way in Isaiah 42 19. Isaiah 42 19. God the father speaking of the son said, who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but thou observest not, opening the ears, but he heareth not. See, this is God the father. He's speaking about his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what God is so happy about with the Lord Jesus. He's saying, nobody is as blind as he is, and no one is as deaf as he is. Just look at him. He's blind, and he's perfect. He's my blind servant. And as we look at, at Genesis 37 here, these verses here, six through eight, we can say the same things about Joseph. Just look at Joseph there, When Joseph is telling his dream to his brothers, he's blind and deaf to the hatred of his brothers. When Joseph is saying to his brothers in verse six, hear, Joseph was causing his brothers to hear, but Joseph was not hearing their hateful words against him. See, when Joseph was causing his brothers to see his dreams, Joseph was not seeing the hatred of his brothers. He was just so engaged in telling his dreams to his brothers, that Joseph was just blind and deaf to the hatred. And this is one of the reasons why we love Joseph. And that's one of the reasons why we love the Lord Jesus Christ, because from being so passionate about telling the message, they're oblivious to the hatred against them that the message is causing. And all Joseph knew was that his brothers needed to hear what he just found out, and so he's gonna go tell them. And in fact, it almost seems like Joseph is surprised at their hatred, you know, I mean, I don't understand why he was surprised I mean, when he told them that they were just gonna bow down to him. I don't know why that, they, that should bother them. <laughs> it seems like a harmless message to me, you know? I don't know why we're surprised when we tell the lost they're on the road to hell. I don't know why that should make them hate us. Seems like a harmless message, you know? But reporting an important message is what this is all about. Reporting an important message without thinking about the consequences to the messenger, that's humility. That's humility. Reporting an important message without thinking about the consequences to himself is a beautiful humility that we see in Joseph. Joseph is just like the Lord Jesus Christ here. Because in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, when he says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. You know, Philippians 2, 8, Philippians 2, 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What is that? By not thinking about the consequences to themselves, both the Lord Jesus and Joseph show us what humility is. You know what people think about humility? Some people think that to be humble, I have to think less of myself. You know, I gotta think I'm very, very low. Oh, I'm so low. I'm not low enough, I'll get lower, you know? Humility is not to think less of yourself. Humility is to think less about yourself. Because when a person thinks less of themselves, he's still thinking about himself. Humility is to lose yourself in doing God's will. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus. He was humble when he did not think about what was gonna happen to him by being truthful because he was thinking about doing the will of God the Father. And Joseph was humble when he did not think about what was gonna happen to him from his brothers, but just by being truthful, because he was concerned he had to get his brothers this message about his dream. That's humility. And we are humble when we don't think about what's gonna happen to ourselves because we're just thinking about doing God's will. That's humility. So it's important to be humble. Why is it important to be humble? Because of what James said. James 4, 6, James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Have you ever thought about how that verse is a mirror? It's a mirror. Actually, it's a mirror. The proud resist God. And God says, well, I'll return that, and I'll resist the proud. The humble accept God. And God says, well, I'll return that. And God accepts the humble. It's a mirror. Now, what we see here is, is a simple, truthful way in which Joseph reports his dreams. And it shows us how Joseph, it shows us who Joseph is. And, and I mean, Joseph, it's a beauty here. Because Joseph, he's not suspicious of his brothers. He's trusting. He's actually trusting. He's not hateful of his brothers. brothers. He's loving. He doesn't want to retaliate. Well, I'm going to get back at you boys now. He doesn't want to retaliate. He wants to reconcile. And so it's a wonderful, Joseph's a wonderful picture for us of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love or charity suffereth long. It was a long time that Joseph endured his brother's hatred. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4, charity or love is kind. And you think of how, how kind Joseph was to his brother to try to get them to stop this evil. And get his father to intervene so, and so that they would stop and not hurt themselves. And also, not to withhold this vital information that he had about his dream. And then in verse Corinthians 13, 3, love envieth not. Love envieth not. I mean, think about how Joseph, he didn't resent his low position of being the errand boy. And he wasn't jealous of his brothers who would give orders to him, do this, do that. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is not puffed up. Love is not puffed up. Think about how Joseph, he didn't push in their face, there's his special coat, you know. And 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not easily provoked. And Think about how there's not one single word in our text here of Joseph fighting back against his brothers. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 6, 13, 6, love thinketh no evil. Evil. Love thinketh no evil. He never, we don't see him scheming. We don't see him planning, you know, like they were planning to throw him in a pit. They don't see. We don't see any of that. Love, First Corinthians 13, 6, 13, 6. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Joseph sees the evil or the iniquity that his brothers were up to. He didn't say, oh, great, make room for me, boys. Here I come. It grieved him. In his heart, he was not rejoicing in iniquity. So he tells his father so that they could make it stop, so he could rejoice in truth. Hmm? First Corinthians 13 seven, 13 7 Love beareth all things, love endureth all things. Beareth all things, endureth all things. Joseph is going to suffer tremendously in Egypt for over 10 years. And he's going to bear physical pain, especially the pain on his feet, when they put him in those stocks. And you can be sure in the prison, when they put him in their stocks, they didn't say to him, what size shoe do you wear? (laughs) So the pain that he had to endure, the sexual temptation, he's a single man, sexual temptation from Potiphar's wife, the discouragement from being forgotten in prison by the one who was supposed to tell the Pharaoh that he's a good dream interpreter and he will bear all things, he will endure all things. First Corinthians 13, seven, 13, seven. Love believeth all things and hopeth all things. See, even after his, all that his brothers did to him, Joseph believed that the family would be all reconciled and, and Joseph never lost hope in this. You can see this down in, in Egypt, it's beautiful. Which is a model for us. Because when we witness to the lost, I mean, we shouldn't look at the lost and say, "Ah, you know, no hope for you, dead, damned, and delivered." You know, (laughs) we shouldn't do that. We should when we when we look at the lost, we should believe they're going to come to the Lord. They're going to come to the Lord, and and that strong no, it's just a delayed yes. That's all, and hope for their salvation. Hope for the someone has to hope for them. And God says, will you be the hopers? And so, now, we see more of how Joseph told his dream in Genesis 37, verse seven, verse seven, when he says, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, literally in the middle of the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance, they bowed, to my chief so he starts out by telling his dreams with the words for behold for behold i mean this really shows us how joseph was was surprised by his dream
0: Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lamp leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org.